Now, as some of you would know, um, I'm a bit of a movie buff. Uh, I love movies, I love film, and so each year one of my personal treats is to try and watch as many as I can of the movies that were nominated for Best Motion Picture of the Year. And so, for example, this year I've managed to watch The King's Speech, Inception, True Grit and Toy Story 3. Now, you'll probably be aware King's Speech won Best Movie, that won the award, but I loved all four of those movies. And as I watched them, what I could not help but notice was how different they were from each other. If you've seen any of them, you'll know what I mean. One's a period drama about a king and his speech therapist. One's a science fiction thriller about entering people's dreams. One's a Western adventure about a little girl wanting to avenge her dad's murder, and one's an animated comedy about a bunch of talking toys. How do you compare movies like that? Why does the Academy Awards even want to compare movies like that? They're just so different. And yet that's the world we live in. We seem to have this insatiable urge to want to compare things and rate things. And so rather than simply say, hey, King's Speech, Toy Story 3, they were both pretty good movies. No, no, Academy Award feels the need to say which is the best movie. I drive a Holden car and own an Apple computer and I seem to be forever being drawn into conversations why it would be better for me to drive a Ford car and own a PC computer. I've been at, West, I've been at uh, Christian conventions like the Western Plains last weekend. And I overhear conversations where people are rating which of the different speakers is the best. Why do we do that? Why aren't we just content to let things be different without feeling the need to have to say which is the best? When the Apostle Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, the church at Corinth had a very big dose of this sort of insanely competitive spirit. We've already noticed it earlier on in the year in the early chapters. Back in chapters 1, 2, 3 and 4, Paul has criticised the church for arguing about who has the best ministry style. Some people thought the Apostle Paul's style was the best. Other people thought the Apostle Peter's style was the best. Still others thought a bloke named Apollos was the best. And they were fighting and having divisions over this sort of stuff. In chapter 7, Paul has also had to diffuse an argument about whether being married is better than being single. This church just can't seem to help themselves from rating and comparing and arguing over stuff. All of which leads us to this morning's reading, because they're at it again as this time the Corinthians are rating and comparing and wanting to say who are the most spiritual amongst them. Verse 1. And you might like to look down at your Bibles and follow this as I read it. Verse 1, chapter 12. Now, about spirituals, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You would have noticed that I left out the word gifts as I read that verse. That's because it's not in the original and our English translations confuse things by including it. The translations insert the word gift, I suppose, because the chapter 
very quickly settles into a discussion about different sorts of gifts within the church. But Paul's opening sentence is much more general than that. He says simply, now about spirituals. In other words, now about spiritual things. Now about being spiritual. I don't want you to be ignorant. And he opens in this general way because it would seem that the Corinthians are measuring who is the most spiritual by what spiritual gifts they have. They are measuring and rating how spiritual a person is by their giftedness. Now that sort of stuff still happens nowadays. For example, people have sometimes said, occasionally people have even left DPC saying that we're not a spiritual enough church. We're not a spirit-filled church. It's a serious critique. It's always good to hear the reasons behind it. And often the reason they give for saying it is because they reckon DPC doesn't emphasise certain spiritual gifts enough. We don't have a healing ministry. We don't have speaking in tongues at our meetings. We don't have prophesying in our meetings. And so occasionally people have judged how spiritual DPC is based on the presence or absence or emphasis we have on certain spiritual gifts within the church. Now, Paul has already indicated in 1 Corinthians that that's a pretty dumb thing to do. For example, consider these two previous references in the book. I've put them on the screen to make them a bit easier for us. Back in chapter 1, verse 7, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Technically, it actually says... Therefore, you do not lack any gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. The word spiritual is not actually there. It simply says gift. I'll come back to that in a tick. For now, simply notice that here is a church which Paul says lacks no gift whatsoever. And yet, in chapter 3, verse 1, he also writes, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, more mere infants in Christ. Now, do you get the significance of those two verses together in the same letter written to the same church? Here is a church that lacks no gift. Healing, messages of knowledge, miraculous powers, prophecy, speaking in tongues, preaching, teaching, you name it, they got it. And they're not spiritual. They are worldly. Babies in Christ. Clearly, how spiritual you are, clearly how spiritual a church is, it's not about what gifts are present. You can have them all, still be unspiritual. In fact, what is really interesting is that the actual term spiritual gifts is never actually used in 1 Corinthians at all. We Christians talk about spiritual gifts all the time. Paul never uses the term once. The term gift, the word gift, appears seven times in 1 Corinthians, never once with the adjective spiritual in front of it. And yet our English translations keep putting it in. Like chapter 1 verse 7, which we just looked at on the screen. The word spiritual appears 15 times in the letter. Never once does it have the word gift after it. 
And yet our English Bibles keep putting it in, like verse 1 of today's reading. Friends, you cannot help but get the impression that Paul himself is going out of his way in 1 Corinthians to avoid putting the words spiritual and gift together. He never once uses the term because he wants to avoid at all costs this false idea that how spiritual you are is somehow measured by what gift you have. Spirituality is not measured by giftedness. And for those who have not yet joined that dot from earlier verses in the letter, Paul now well and truly spells that out over the next three chapters. And in today's chapter, he kicks it all off by teaching that every Christian has God's spirit and God's spirit gives different gifts to each other so that we'll need each other. Every Christian has God's spirit and God's spirit gives different gifts to each other so that we'll need each other. Let's take each of those thoughts in turn. Firstly, that every Christian has God's spirit. Verse 2. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Paul starts out this conversation about being spiritual by getting the Corinthians to think back to what they were like before becoming Christians, back when they followed dumb idols, back when they were spiritually dead, as it were. But now you see everything's changed. Now they are testifying to, now they are living out the truth that Jesus is Lord and his point is that that is such a radical shift in their life that it can only be by the result of the Holy Spirit. Verse 3, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now this is not a word game, this isn't a magic formula where you simply say the words Jesus is Lord and hey presto you got the Holy Spirit. No, no, what he's getting at is that no one can be a Christian, no one can genuinely seek to follow Jesus as Lord unless you have the Holy Spirit transforming you. He makes the point very briefly here because he's actually spent all of chapter 2 explaining this. That left to our own nature we are lost in sin, we are lost in death and only God's Spirit can change that. Only God's spirit can open our hearts and mind and convict us of who Jesus Christ is. And can you see why Paul is starting out his conversation about spirituality this way? The implication is that the sign of being spiritual, the sign of having the Holy Spirit, is not whether you've got some special sort of gift. The sign you have God's spirit is simply whether you're a Christian. Whether you're living your life with Jesus as Lord, because no one other than the Holy Spirit can produce that in your life. Friends, please do not let anyone intimidate you or tell you otherwise. If Jesus is your Lord, you have God's Spirit. It's not about having some extra special add-on blessing. And it's certainly not about having a particular type of gift. Because as Paul now goes on to explain, God's Spirit gives lots of different gifts. Verse 8. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, to still another the interpretation of tongues. Now there's an intriguing little list of gifts. In all honesty, it's hard to know what some of them are. What exactly is the difference between a message of wisdom and a message of knowledge? I'm not sure I know. 
miraculous powers in verse 10. Really vague phrase. Uh, the ESV has workings of miracles. Literally, it says workings of powers. What are they? Not sure I know. All in all, it's a tantalizing list in which gifts are named but not explained. Because Paul's not interested in giving a detailed description of what each particular gift is, he simply wants to make the point that there's heaps of them. And his big punchline is that they all come from the one spirit. Verse 8, given through the spirit. Verse 8 again, by means of the same spirit. Verse 9, by the same spirit. Verse 9 again, by that one spirit. Verse 11, all these are the work of one and the same spirit. It's not hard to see what his big point is, is it? To a, family, to a church family fixated with rating how spiritual a person is based on what gift they have, Paul is pointing out that spirituality can't be measured by giftedness because, one, the sign of having the Spirit is, a, is not about having a special gift but about testifying that Jesus is Lord, and, two, all the different gifts are the work of the same Spirit anyway. It's silly to think that one gift is more spiritual than another. They are all by the same spirit as he gives different gifts to different people. And so why does the spirit do that? Why does God set it up this way? Well, it's so that in Christ's church, we will need each other. Verse 12. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. And with that verse, Paul now introduces quite a long but a very profound illustration in which Paul compares Christ's body, the church, to our own physical bodies that are made up of all different parts. The sort of stuff Al was talking about earlier. That we all have ears and eyes and fingers and toes, and yes, they're all different, and yet at one level we don't think of them as being different. They're just sort of together. Well, they're just us. And so when we cut our finger, we don't tend to say, oh, no, I've hurt my finger. We say, oh, no, I've hurt myself. The parts are many. They form one body. And where Paul is going with this illustration is that because the one body has all parts that are different, that means all those different parts are needed. Verse 14. Now the body is not made up of one part but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. Friends, this is a lovely thought. Please don't ever feel that you don't belong in a church family because you're different. Please don't ever feel that you don't belong in a church family because you're somehow not like someone else. It's precisely because you are different. It's precisely because you are not like someone else that you do belong. Please don't feel... in intimidated or envious of others. Please don't feel that you don't belong just because you're different. And likewise, don't you ever think that someone else doesn't belong because they're different. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Look down at verse 24. God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body and that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, 
Every part rejoices with it. Friends, are you seeing where Paul is going with all of this? He's writing to a church who are comparing how spiritual you are by what gift you have. Paul's response, every Christian has God's spirit. And the spirit actually gives lots of different gifts to lots of different people. And he does it not so that we'll compare and compete with each other. He does it so that we'll need each other. And so he concludes this chapter, verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now stop there at verse 30. Uh, Verse 31 is an important verse to get right because it sets up the next chapter. So we'll get to verse 31 next week. But here at the end, can you see from verse 27 on, Paul again lists off different types of gifts like he did earlier on in the chapter. And now here at the end, his very strong emphasis is that they're all different. And that diversity is expressed in different people having different gifts. Those questions at the end, you know, do all work miracles, do all speak in tongues, they are strongly rhetoric questions. In the original, unlike English, original Greek has a sentence construction that you can tell what the expected answer to the question is. And in each case here, the expected answer is a very strong no. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. Which, as a bit of an aside, please ignore those people that say that you have to speak in tongues in order to be a genuine Christian. Now, if you'd not heard that idea before, blessed are you. But I mention it because some Christians, some churches here in Dubbo say (coughs) that if you cannot speak in tongues, you are not a genuine Christian. That is so plainly wrong. And don't get me wrong, don't misunderstand me. Speaking in tongues is a good gift. It has a place. We'll get to that in chapter 14. But to say that every Christian must do it, that is so plainly wrong from what Paul writes here. Do all speak in tongues? No. And why is he pointing it out? Well, it's because he's wanting the Corinthians to replace their insanely competitive spirit with God's cooperative spirit. Because remember the whole chapter, in fact the next two chapters as well, they're all about the mistake of measuring how spiritual someone is by what gift they have. And Paul is saying that is hopeless. All Christians have God's spirit. And he works in us lots of different gifts given to different people, deliberately so, so that we'll need each other, so that we'll have a role to play so that we are all part of it.
Now, mind you, at this point, some of you might be thinking, well, that's good and fine, but what is my part? What is my role? I'm not sure I know what my gift actually is. Now, that's a valid question, and over the next few weeks, we'll get to it. But this week, the issue of how can I discover what gift is mine, that's a bit of a me focus to, uh, that puts it out of step with the pastoral intent of today's passage. Because in this passage, Paul's not really interested in helping Corinthians discover what their personal spiritual gift is, not that he ever actually uses that term. He rather wants them to see that in Christ's church there are lots of different gifts given to different people. And that variety amongst us makes us all different and all needed. And so instead of the competitiveness and rivalry that is currently happening at Corinth, Paul wants them to have honour for each other. He wants there to be no divisions in the body. He wants them to have equal concern for each other. He wants them to open their eyes to the beautiful diversity of being in God's church. Have you ever watched and listened to a full orchestra playing a symphony concert? Now, to be honest, I'm not much of a classical music sort of guy, but it's still an, it's an impressive experience just to, just to watch the diversity of the orchestra at work, all the different musicians playing their different instruments, all made out of different materials, and playing different notes to each other. And yet the volume and the texture and the richness and the quality of sound that that makes, it is so much stronger and so much more robust and so much more powerful and stirring than if they'd just been playing the same notes on exactly the same types of instruments at exactly the same time. And friends, that's what Paul wants the Corinthians to see and feel about Christ's church. He wants them to see and feel the strength and the vibrancy that comes from different people having different gifts within Christ's church. It's what God wants you to see and feel about early church. Because here in early church, in Christ's church, We don't rate each other's gifts. We rejoice in each other's gifts. We don't compete with each other. We celebrate each other. For we are the body of Christ and each one is a part of it. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the genius of our church family. Thank you for the gifting of your spirit. And Father, we thank you for the richness of diversity that we can enjoy in being part of your body, the church. Father, we pray that you deliver us from uh, envy and competitiveness and judgmentalism, that we would rejoice in our differences as you intend us to. For Christ's honour we pray this. Amen.